This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 25th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Iraqis are stepping up, urging U.S. troops to leave Iraq ahead of schedule. Does it mean that George W. Bush was right all along, that Iraq will become an ally and force for good in the Middle East? Christopher Preble, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. The U.S. appears to be in a situation in Iraq where Iraqis would prefer that the U.S. be completely out of that country before the U.S. might prefer to be uh, out of that country. The U.S. says that Iraq will not be able to defend its skies by uh, 2011, and um, they've requested that more troops be sent into northern Iraq. Why the disconnect? Well, the, the, the main disconnect is between the desire of the Iraqi people to have control of security in their country. Um, they don't have full control at this point, but uh, it appears that, that most Iraqis, many Iraqis at least, would be willing to tolerate a level of security or insecurity that most other Westerners would find inadequate. But again, from the Iraqi perspective, it's better that they be doing it rather than the Americans be doing it. Um, you know, sovereignty has been defined for hundreds of years as the ability to um, control violence uh, in your own country or have a monopoly on violence in your own country. Um, the All of the arguments that the U.S. military officials are making with respect to um, Iraqi uh, Air support, air power, uh, intelligence information that is that the United States continues to collect, uh, particularly by electronic means that the Iraqis don't have, um, and and some of those concerns, and especially the concerns about the rising tension in the north between the Kurds and the and the um, uh, Iraq, Iraqis, primarily the Sunni Iraqis in the northern part of the country. Um, those are all valid from an American perspective, but again. The U.S. has this agreement with the Iraqi government. The Status of Forces Agreement stipulates very clearly what and how the U.S. military will respond. So with respect to some of these attacks that were occurred in Baghdad last week, uh, horrific attacks, quite large-scale, coordinated, uh, you know, occurring almost simultaneously in several different places, and the U.S. military was not asked to intervene until fairly late in the process, um, that was consistent with the terms of the Status of Forces Agreement. Um, on a more kind of at, at a higher level, I think there is a, a desire on the part of U.S. military officials to try uh, to to do whatever they can to ensure that the that this mission is seen as a success. And it will be very hard for the mission to be interpreted as a success if a number of things that the U.S. has no control over whatsoever, including the possibility of sectarian violence, the possibility of continued terrorist violence, uh, the con- a, a full-scale kind of uh, conflict between the Kurds and the, and the Iraqi uh, go- central government. There are all those scenarios that could play out which would seem to undermine the narrative of success and the surge having succeeded that we've been told for the last few years. Looking even farther down the line, another problem is the is the future of the Iraqi government, the, the status of that government and how it identifies itself. Is it an ally of the United States? Is it an ally of Iran? Is it something else entirely? Um, President Bush used to like to make the argument that someday Iraq would be like Japan, and he would make this speech when Prime Minister Koizumi or one or another senior Japanese official was standing next to him. Um, and in fairness, if uh, 30 years from now Iraq is a great ally of the United States in the Middle East, then then uh, 
this will be the argument that this was a this was a wise decision. Of course, you can still question the cost of having achieved that, uh, but it would be even harder to spin this as a success if the central government in Iraq is closely allied with Iran or friendly toward Iran, uh, openly hostile to the United States. You see the the very early stages of this tension. It's not quite hostility yet because I think the Iraqi government recognizes that from a security perspective they can't possibly confront the United States directly and they are still dependent upon the U.S. military to some extent for their security, particularly the Maliki government. Um, but over time, if this tension of these disagreements between the United States and Iraq uh, grow worse, then uh, the the fear is, I think a legitimate fear, that uh, Iraq not emerge ultimately as a great friend or ally of the United States, but rather as, as an adversary. Looking at the situation in Iraq right now, how does it not, though, feed the narrative of the Bush administration of uh, Iraqis stepping up as the U.S. steps down, uh, taking control, essentially uh, asserting sovereignty and becoming this uh, this island in in the Middle East? Right. Um, there was always a tension in the the lessons or the the message that President Bush was was preaching. Um, Particularly in the very in the very difficult period of the war, when the when the uh, sectarian tension was rising, uh, popular support for the war was falling here in the United States. Um, he picked up on from the polling data and from public opinion research more generally that a, that the public wanted to understand the American public as well as the Iraqi public wanted to understand what the end point was, what the exit strategy was, what would be a suitable end, and a suitable end on both sides, both in Iraq and in, in the United States, was of an Iraqi government that was capable of defending itself. He, of course, presumed, or at least hoped, that an Iraqi government that was capable of defending itself would be friendly to the United States, or favorably disposed to the United States, or an ally of the United States. He hoped that to be the case. But, of course, he could not guarantee that. And again, I think the, the, the concern grows if there's this tension between the U.S. and the Iraqi, the U.S. government and the Iraqi government, um, what will this relationship be over the long term? I think that's very much an open question. We also have to dwell briefly on public opinion. I've already t- touched on this, but public opinion in the United States and in Iraq right now with respect to the crucial question of the U.S. military presence in the country. Um, you alluded to the fact that Iraqis are pushing for a, a, an even more accelerated timetable for withdrawal. The current status of force agreement stipulates that all forces will be out by, by the end of 2011. Uh, there is likely to be a referendum in Iraq that would push that date even sooner, that the U.S. forces be out even sooner. Meanwhile, in the United States, many Americans have even moved beyond Iraq. They are now more focused on Afghanistan, a war which is also losing popular support. And for President Obama to come to the American people and say, oops, well, sorry, we were wrong. Uh, We're not able to draw down forces as as we intended to do in Iraq. Uh, We need additional forces in Afghanistan. So what does that mean? Still more troops. We've grown the Army and Marine Corps already several times since 9-11. Um, I think that would be a very, very tough sell politically, and with good reason, because I think the American people are correct to be skeptical of a long-term mission in Iraq, a mission longer, uh, far longer than what we've already committed to, uh, just as they're growing uh, ever more skeptical of the mission in Afghanistan. So I think there are a number of pressures on the Obama administration. There will always be concerns about violence increasing after a U.S. withdrawal. There will always be concerns about, again, these the relationship between the U.S. government and the Iraqi government and whether or not that will be 
an amicable relationship or not. Those concerns are all valid, but I think that the other countervailing pressures are more serious still. The fact the Obama administration feels it needs the troops in Afghanistan, the fact that the public opinion in the United States is not supportive of a long-term mission, and equally important that the Iraqi public is not supportive of a long-term mission. Down the road, even if Iraq does prove to be stable, friendly, helpful toward uh, the ends of global peace, the United States has still spent, uh, cost an enormous uh, number of lives and uh, trillions of dollars. Right. Um, You know, we will be debating for a very long time um, the costs of the war. What you count in the costs becomes very, very... um, malleable, uh, but the number of lives lost, American lives lost, is quite well known. It's well documented, the number who are wounded and therefore will be cared for uh, until, you know, until their last days. That's a, a sacred trust that we have with the people who have served, and that will be, we will fulfill those obligations as we should. Um, we do not, however, have good numbers on the number of Iraqi killed. Uh, the question then becomes, and, and even if we did, it would be a speculative how many of those deaths were pr- directly attributable to the U.S. Mil- the, the military operations and others attributed to other things. Um, but when you think about the, the justification for going to war in the first place, President Bush said that the costs of inaction uh, not taking action, the costs were greater than taking action. He made this argument very explicitly before the war, and I think he got, went in with certain assumptions about what it would cost and how long we would be there. And I think, if nothing else, those assumptions have proved false. We can then debate forever whether we would have gone to war had we had a more accurate assessment of the cost. I am doubtful of that. But I think, if nothing else, we have to recognize that when the United States launches a preventive war like we did in Iraq, um, that you have to account for all of the costs, not just the costs in the very near term, because uh, achieving military victory is, is fairly straightforward, even still to this day. But it's the long-term costs that we haven't uh, fully accounted for as a country. And I think that's why uh, military action, when you look at it holistically, uh, it very rarely passes the cost-benefit test. Christopher Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of the new book, The Power Problem. You can order your copy at cato.org.